take your hymn book and turn in the back of it to the scripture readings, to the portion taken from the 17th chapter of the Gospel of John, and let us read in unison the reading numbered 53 from John chapter 17. And this is eternal life, that they may know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. I glorified thee on earth, having accomplished the work which thou gavest me to do. And now, Father, glorify thou me in thy own presence with the glory which I had with thee before the world was made. I have manifested thy name to the men whom thou gavest me out of the world. Thine they were, and thou gavest them to me, and they have kept thy word. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Thy word is truth. As thou didst send me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake I consecrate myself, that they also may be consecrated in truth. I do not pray for these only but also for those who are to believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, even as thou, Father, art in me and I in thee, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. The glory which thou hast given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, and thou in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that thou hast sent me, and hast loved them even as thou hast loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom thou hast given me, may be with me where I am, to behold my glory, which thou hast given me in thy love for me, before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, the world has not known thee, but I have known thee, and these know that thou hast sent me. I made known to them thy name, and I will make it known that the love with which thou hast loved me may be in them, and I in them. I think it would be helpful to you, if you have a Bible, to take it and turn to the 17th chapter of the Gospel according to John. John chapter 17. Because we are beginning a time of special prayer in our church, there are some things that I wanted to emphasize from this. Let me begin by saying this, that the Bible is a book of prayer. The Bible is not a record of man's search after God, but the Bible is a record of God's search after man. And God has given to us the gracious privilege of communion with him through prayer. I couldn't help but notice a moment ago when we were singing that old hymn, Sweet Hour of Prayer, that it seemed to touch a familiar chord in many a heart, and that you were blessed in the singing of it. 
Now then, people often ask the question, why should we pray? One of the greatest answers to this that I've ever seen was given by George MacDonald, a great Church of Scotland minister. He answers the question this way, but if God is so good as you represent him, and if he knows all that we need and better far than we do ourselves, why should it be necessary to ask him for anything? Well, I answer, what if he knows prayer to be the most needful thing and the best thing that he could give us? What if the main object in God's idea of prayer be the supplying of our greatest need, which is our need of himself? Hunger may drive the runaway child home. It may or may not be fed at once, but he needs his mother more than he needs his dinner. Communion with God is the one need of the soul beyond all other needs. Prayer is the beginning of that communion. And some need is the motive of that prayer. So begin a communion of talking with God or coming to one with him, which is the sole end of prayer, yea, and of existence itself in the infinite phases. We must ask that we may receive, but that we should receive what we ask in respect of our lower needs is not God's end in making us pray, for he could give us everything without that, to bring his child to his need, so that he may love him, God withholds, so that man may ask. Now, I hope you're able to comprehend this statement by George MacDonald. Because when you look into the Bible, you see great men of prayer at work. If you see Moses, you see Moses at prayer. Moses is out in the desert, lamenting the fate of the people of God in bondage in Egypt. And Moses makes a prayer to God about the deliverance of his people. And so God lays it upon Moses to be the one to go and to deliver them. And it's dangerous to pray. God may ask you to get to work, to go and to do something in response to your prayer. If you read about Gideon, you see him when he is lamenting the fate of the people of God and the ravages that they have through the Midianites. And God speaks to him to go and to do something too. Well, prayer is a mean of, means of encouragement. And that's why Gideon wanted the people who were with him who were afraid to go away. That's why last Sunday when we studied about the whole armor of God, that that armor is to be put on with prayer. There is a hymn called Stand Up, Stand Up for Jesus. And it says, put on the gospel armor, each piece put on with prayer. Now then, the writer, Paul, the writer of Ephesians, wanted the church back in Ephesus to pray for him. He said, pray for me, that utterance may be given me, that I may boldly preach the gospel of Christ. I've seen people who are embarrassed to ask other people to pray for them, and other people embarrassed to say that they were praying for them. They say, I'll be thinking about you. Well, what are you going to be thinking about me? Uh, I want you to pray for me. Uh, I'm not ashamed to ask people. And then I've seen people get mad. He's praying for me. Great Scott. Uh, you need praying for, if that's your attitude. Um, uh, prayer 
is, is a great gift of God. Here Paul asks for prayer. Then we look at uh, others in the Bible. Uh, stop and think about Nehemiah, who had a very soft job as cupbearer to the king, a pay, place of great responsibility and a very easy job. Then one of his relatives comes back from having visited Jerusalem. The temple is in ruins, the walls in ruins. And he tells it all to Nehemiah. And Nehemiah begins to fast and he prays and he comes into the presence of the king praying and his hand is trembling. And the king can see that something is wrong even. And God uses Nehemiah to go and to rebuild the walls of the city. You see, God will use us when we are praying. And then when you come into the life of our blessed Lord himself, stop and think about this. Jesus is the incarnate Son of God. And yet you will see our Lord Jesus praying at his baptism. You will see him praying and fasting in that 40 days of temptation when the enemy comes against him. You will see our Lord Jesus praying all night in prayer before he selects the 12 apostles. You will see our Lord Jesus praying when he takes food and blesses it and breaks it and gives it to a multitude. You will see our Lord Jesus when Lazarus is dead and he comes there and Martha and Mary almost with reproach come out to meet him and say, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And Jesus speaks to them. And then Jesus prays, and Lazarus comes forth from the dead, because the great Son of God has power over death. And he says to them those great words, I am the resurrection and the life, and he that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. And he asks the question, do you believe this? And so he makes it forceful and powerful and right to the point uh, there within. And then we come to this John 17. And I want to commend it to your very careful study. Philip Melanchthon, who was one of the great reformers, one of the men during the Reformation period when the church came back to the Bible and was reformed according to the word of God from its superstitions and excesses. Philip Melanchthon said this about John chapter 17. There is no voice which has ever been heard, either in heaven or in earth, more exalted, more holy, more fruitful, more sublime than this prayer offered up by the Son of God himself. You see, in what we call the Lord's Prayer, we have a model which Jesus taught his disciples to pray. But here you have come into the Holy of Holies. You have come into the presence of the eternal God in human flesh, praying to his Father. And here we listen to him offering his prayer up to God. And what shall he pray for? These things spoke Jesus, and lifting up his eyes to heaven, he said, Father, the hour is come. What hour? He had just instituted the Lord's Supper. In a few hours he will be nailed to a cross. 
the hour for which he was born, the hour that will mean our salvation, the hour is come. Glorify thy Son. Why? That thy Son may glorify thee. This should be the supreme consideration with us. Our blessed little Westminster Catechism has taught us this from our childhood. Man's chief end is to glorify God. And the chief purpose in our prayer should be to glorify God. Sometimes I get a little bit put out with some of the silliness that is taught about prayer. Uh, now there are new Christians who are going to learn to pray. And I had this brought home to me the other day when I was studying it because I was praying for some dumb thing uh, like a parking place or uh, and, and uh, I don't I can't remember right now I think it was bulbs or something but anyway uh, the Lord said look there are people that are dying with cancer they're missionaries there are people in a lot of trouble that you know about now why are you wasting your time looking for trinkets uh, oh I wasn't really as I was selfish I was like a little bitty kid I, I know a man whose who's nephew uh, his sister's little boy uh, used to always pray for all the dogs in the neighborhood. And then right at the end of the prayer, he'd put his mother in. <laughs> and then, but I was acting the same way. Uh, it's a selfish sort of thing. Uh, here you see in the petition of our Lord Jesus Christ a great and a grand purpose. He is seeking to glorify God. He is seeking to glorify God. I don't mean that you can't pray for the little things. But I do mean that there are big things that ought to be brought into consideration here. And Jesus is praying uh, for the glory of God. Now that ought to be the supreme consideration with us. Even as thou hast given him authority over all mankind, that to all whom thou hast given him, he may give eternal life. And this is life eternal, that they may know thee, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. No man will ever know eternal life without Jesus Christ. What is the greatest gift that I could give my Jewish friend in Miami? To say that I belong to Baha'i, or that all religions are equally good and equally helpful? The greatest gift I can give him is a testimony to the Messiah. The greatest gift that I can give him is to show him the one in whom alone is eternal life. And don't try to be kinder than Jesus. There is no other way. There is no other name. Under heaven, given among men, whereby we must be saved. We must be saved. Think about the gifts that we give at Christmas. Christmas, someone has said, is the time in, in uh, which we spend money that we don't have on people that we don't know for gifts that they can't use. Uh, well, here, here is the gift of eternal life. Here is something everyone needs. I remember one Christmas season when I was driving someplace in Nashville and it was raining just about uh, just a few days before Christmas and I saw a, a burial vault being taken someplace, and I thought there's for the guy that's got everything for Christmas. You, you, you see, uh, what gift, if you were selecting a gift, what gift would everyone need? If you give them a book, maybe you can't read. 
If you give him a chair, maybe he's so sick he can't sit down. If he's old or young, if he's rich or poor, if he's white or black, no matter who he is or what he is, the one gift that he needs above all other gifts is the gift of eternal life. And that gift is very exclusive. It can only be had through Jesus Christ. And that's why this is so important for us to remember. I glorified thee on earth, having accomplished the work which thou hast given me to do. That's the greatest work ever done. Did you ever really want to do something that would last forever? Here Jesus has done it. He has given a gift that lasts forever because he is in the finished work of Christ upon the cross. I saw a young boy this week who could have had a ton of money in the mercantile business come under the care of Asheville Presbytery as a candidate for the gospel ministry and give his testimony. Tommy Belk of the Belk stores, his grandfather founded over 400 Belk stores and Tommy said of his grandfather that he couldn't take a one of them with him. But his grandfather was a great Christian too and he bore a great testimony to Christ. And Tommy made a great testimony to the Presbytery. Woe is me if I preach not the gospel. Here is something that the mercantile business can't supply. Here is something that's supremely important. And he has identified himself with the gospel ministry. And I couldn't help but think about how many preachers would leave the ministry today if they inherited the money that Tommy already had. And yet he's teaching and preaching the gospel because he believes it's the power of God unto salvation. I glorified thee on earth, having accomplished the work which thou hast given me to do. Are we doing the work which he has given us to do? Are we doing that work in this assembly? Is he glorified in this church? Is he glorified in my home? I was praying one time for my children. I was praying for their health. I was praying for their education. I was praying that they might be psychologically and emotionally well adjusted. And then the thought occurred to me that all of these things are great, but you could have every one of them and go to hell that the best thing to pray for is for salvation. The best thing to pray for, you, can, you may pray for these other things too, but let's put the priority where it should be. Let's let the glory of Jesus, the glory of God, be the supreme consideration with us. I manifested thy name to the men whom thou gavest me out of the world. Thine they were, and thou gavest them to me, and they have kept thy word. Now they have come to know that everything thou hast given me is from thee, for the words which thou gavest me I have given to them, and they have received them and understood that I came from thee. I ask on their behalf. I do not ask on behalf of the world, but of those whom thou hast given me, for they are thine. Here he prays for his own. Here he prays for those who will later believe on him. Now we are to pray for the world. The world here is cosmos, from which we get the word cosmetics. When you ladies go in the bathroom and start putting the makeup on, the cosmetics 
It, it, the cosmos means order. It means that you are putting your face in order. Uh, and there is a world order that is arraigned against God. The world, the flesh, and the devil. And uh, so here we are to be in the world, but not of the world. It's okay for a boat to be in the water, but it's all wrong when the water gets in the boat. And the church, when it becomes worldly, then it loses its power. It's only as it keeps its distinctiveness. There are some churches so worldly you'd have to backslide to be in fellowship. But uh, uh, you, you need to remember here that our business is to bear a testimony uh, to the world, and we are to bear that testimony by... Uh, staying with our uniqueness to Christ as he prays for his disciples and their security and their sanctity to keep them clean through thy word. What a great thing it is to take the word of God. I am no more in the world, he is about to leave. And yet they themselves are in the world and I come to thee, Holy Father. Keep them in thy name, the name which thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are. While I was with them, I was keeping them in thy name, which thou hast given me. I guarded them, and not one of them perished, but the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. Not everyone is going to be saved. But now I come to thee, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy made full in themselves. I have given them thy word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Woe be when all men speak well of you. I saw some scandalous book the other day written on Billy Graham, which was full of slanders and lies. Now, I remembered a word that I'd seen by Charles Spurgeon. Spurgeon said, the devil never kicks a dead horse. There's some truth in that. The devil never kicks a dead horse. One of the surest signs sometimes of a closeness with the Lord may be opposition that comes uh, from the enemy that comes to us. Now look at verse 15 of John 17. I do not ask thee to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. I do not ask thee to take them out of the world. Why? We're here to bear a testimony to him. Now, all of us have times of despondency. Job wished that he had never been born. Jeremiah said the same thing. Uh, Paul said that uh, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain, and it would be far better if I could depart and to be with him, but nevertheless, it's better for me to stay on. But now we can't opt for a cop-out here. We're supposed to be in the world. Our business is to occupy until he comes. And our business is to bear a testimony. That's why Jesus said, I do not ask thee to take them out of the world. We're on orders. We're here on orders to occupy until he comes again. We're on business for the king. We have a purpose. I do not ask thee to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. We're to be here to bear a testimony for him. We had a great old preacher in Texas, Dr. George W. Truett. I remember him w once he said that he had gone to 
when I was a boy, he was on the radio all the time, and they played his sermons, and Dr. Truett had gone to some woman's house who was racked with cancer. And some person said to her, if Jesus should come into this room and ask you to come and go home with him to heaven, what would you say? Wouldn't you want to leave this world and get out of this suffering? And he said that that precious little lady said, I would ask him to choose for me. I would ask that his will be done, not mine, that he would know what's best. I would not want to make that decision. I never heard a more courageous answer in all my life. I would ask him to choose. Not my will, but thy will be done. You'll never be more like Jesus than when you're at that point in your Christian experience. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in truth. Thy word, O God, is truth. As thou didst send me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. Think about the greatness of that. Why did Jesus come into the world? To seek and to save that which is lost, to die on that cross, to be raised again from the dead, so that the gospel might be taken to the ends of the world. Here's the greatest responsibility that could ever be right here. He came into the world bearing out that responsibility from his Father and for every believer in the Lord Jesus, that responsibility comes upon us too. As thou didst send me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. So send I you to labor unrewarded. He sent us into the world to carry out this responsibility here. I was thinking the other day about the president during uh, some news conference that he was on television. And what a great responsibility that he bears. And I wouldn't want to be president of the United States. I wouldn't want that responsibility. I was thinking about the responsibility that an airline captain has who has three or four hundred people on one of those big jumbo jets. I was thinking about the responsibility that a surgeon has who has a person etherized and laid out in front of him and is about to operate on them and the responsibility that he has. But if you're a believer in Jesus, you have a greater responsibility. You have the responsibility of carrying out the same purpose for which he came into this world, and that is to bear a testimony to him. That's why we need to have cottage prayer meetings. That's why we need to witness to those to whom we may bear a testimony for Christ. We need it. And it's a tremendous price that he paid. And for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also may be sanctified in the truth. That to me is the most humbling line in Scripture. For their sakes I sanctify, that is, make myself holy. What on earth could he ever have done that would cause him to say this? And for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they themselves also may be sanctified in truth. That we should live lives that are holy and blameless as the Holy Spirit works in us 
so that we might make the gospel creditable for other people, so that they might want to believe in the Lord Jesus and might wish to turn to him and be saved. How he prays for them here. Next semester, we're going to have come to this campus, Dr. Christy Wilson. I'll never forget years ago at Columbia Seminary, Dr. Kenneth Scott Latterette, the author of the distinguished books on the expansion of Christianity, which is a classic in church history. Dr. Latterette from Yale was lecturing at Columbia Seminary. And Leighton Ford and I had great ambitions for doing missionary things. I wanted to go to Tibet as a missionary, and I don't know where Leighton wanted to go, but we were talking with um, Dr. Latterette. And, he, you know, he was so encouraging. He was an old man, but he, he call, told us to dream our dreams, to plan about how to reach people in the world, to pray for them. And he said, let me tell you about a young man who's just graduated from Princeton Seminary. His name is Christy Wilson. And he said, do you know what he's done? He's gone to a university to take a distinguished degree in agriculture, and he's going to Afghanistan. And there in Kabul in Afghanistan, he is going to establish a church for Jesus Christ. They won't let in a missionary. It's a Muslim country. And he's going where no missionaries are allowed and no Christian church is allowed. But he's going, and he's going to teach agriculture, and he's going to see if he can't slip the gospel message into Afghanistan. Well, Christy Wilson did go to Afghanistan. And he did establish a church for Jesus Christ there. And that church began to grow. And when in Washington the Muslims requested a mosque be put up there, then Christy was smart enough to go to the government and say, well, if you can have a mosque here, why can't we have a Christian church in Kabul? And the government let them have a church. And then there arose the opposition of the enemy, as there always comes. And so one day the government sent the bulldozers, and they destroyed the church building. And you know what they did? The crazy bulldozers dug down into the ground. They were going to dig up the underground church. <laughs> and <laughs> so they went meters underground, digging out, leveling it to the ground. But you can't get the church of God with bulldozers. And you can't burn it out that way. But Christy Wilson did a great thing. He was taking the gospel of Christ seriously here. And he was taking that message uh, to all. I do not ask in behalf of these alone, but for those also who believe in me through their word. The ones that Christy would witness to. And then our time is gone. At the end of this, Father, I desire that they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am in order that they may behold my glory which thou hast given me. Now, now listen very carefully. This is worth coming to church for. Anytime you have a loved one who loves the Lord Jesus and who's been born again of the Spirit of God, and who's saved. And that person is called out of this life. And you wake up as dear Mr. Hoyt did. And your wife beside you has fallen asleep. In Jesus. Right there beside you in this past year. Or as some of us saw when Dr. Bell died. Or when others in our congregation died. 
Well, you saw the answer to this prayer here. Jesus is making a prayer. He says, Father, I desire that they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am. Sometimes he calls those whom we love home to be with him. Maybe a little child that he has given to us to let our hearts grow bigger and to teach us love. But one day Jesus says, come home. I want you in the big house. I want you with me. I want you with me. This could be an answer to his prayer right here, that they may be with me where I am. And do you know what he says? In order that they may behold my glory, which thou hast given me, for thou didst love me before the foundation of the world. What a marvelous thing. Just one glimpse of him in glory will the toils of life repay. There's nothing that the devil tries to do any more than to make us think that all that's valuable is just what takes place day by day. Television screams this at us. The newspapers scream this at us. Just instant, just this moment. That's all that counts. But eternity is what, what really counts. You've heard the story many times. I wish you could have heard Dr. Henry Clay Morrison tell it. His old squeaky voice. He used to preach over at Lake Junaluska. He had gone to preach in China. And then he had gone from China to Africa. And he happened to be coming back on the same boat after preaching in Africa. On the same ship on which Theodore Roosevelt was returning to the United States after being on a lion hunting trip out in Africa. And Henry Clay Marson, of course, didn't have any money and he had to ride in the cheapest accommodations on the ship. When they got back to New York Harbor, while they'd sent out the uh, fire vessels that spurt the water up in the air and the, the whistles were all blowing and the bands were all playing because Theodore Roosevelt had come home. And old Dr. Marson had to get off the ship with no one there to meet him make his way with his baggage to Grand Central Station and come back to Asbury, Kentucky, where he lived. And when he got back to Asbury, Kentucky, they had somehow neglected to have anyone meet him at the station when he got to the town closest there. When he got off the train, there was some person who was kind of dull-witted, and he said, you back already, Dr. Marson? <laughs> Hadn't even been missed. And uh, the man took his suitcases and was walking with him, and Dr. Marson was walking along in back of him, shaking his head, and he said to the Lord, he said, Lord, is this how you treat your servants? He said, I go out to China, and I get a fever, and I nearly die, and I preach the gospel of Jesus. And then I go to Africa, and I preach there the gospel of Jesus, and I get sick, and I come back on that old boat. And Teddy Roosevelt comes home on the boat, and all the people are out to meet him and to welcome him home. And here I am, I come home. And no one's welcoming me. And he said it was like a voice from heaven that whispered in his ear and said, you're not home yet, Henry. <laughs> you, see, you see, the Lord uh, has something precious planned for his own. And when we see him, then he will grant that gift to us. 
And you know, you, if you've never accepted Christ as your Savior, you can have eternal life. You can enter into it right now. It's not something that starts at death. It's something that starts now. And you can have it by asking Jesus to come into your heart, in your own words, in your own way. Pray. And now, our Father, we lift up holy hands in prayer unto thee, asking thee that thou wilt grant the deepest desire of our heart, which is that we might grow more like Jesus. We pray that the Holy Spirit will teach us to pray and that this prayer of our blessed Lord's will teach us to make higher petitions to thee and to walk in a deeper devotion to the mission to which he has called us. Help us, O oh God, to be one in, one in holiness and one in truth and one in the mission to which we have. Help us to go out determined to bear a testimony for him. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God our Father and the communion and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, our keeper and guide, be and abide with us all now and forevermore.